policy to be enacted, definitely the young ones are needed. Me, you, every single person that gets to need that gets to make the work done from our communities. I mean, it starts to work in in, in some sort of ladder where there's the community groundwork that needs to be done, there's the activism that needs to be done, which is where they get to see that we need something to be done about this. And then they support you, and then they bring you to the table, and then they, they then have a discussion with you of some sort, which is a policy that starts to form. And that was Jennifer Anya, who's an energy economist and a podcast host among many of her accomplishments. And this is the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I am your host today, Ashna Agarwal, the Partnerships and Development Manager at Power for All. In today's episode, we are joined by Jennifer Anya, who is the Renewable Energy Operations Manager at Husk Power Systems. For our listeners joining us for this podcast, Power for All is a global campaign of over 300 partners around the world dedicated to ending energy poverty faster. You can learn more about Power for All on our website, powerforall.org, the socials, and of course, by subscribing to our newsletter. As a 501c organization, Power for All depends on the generosity of listeners like you. Please do consider supporting our work at powerforall.org forward slash donate. Jennifer, welcome and thank you for joining us in this special edition of Power for All podcast, celebrating International Youth Day. Yeah, thank you so much, Ashna, for having me here. I'm really excited to be here with you and then, I mean, speak to you right after SFRL in Kigali. So, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, you're not only a climate change and renewable energy advocate and activist, but you've carved a career in the renewable energy industry. Can you share with us how a young person like you got interested in this field of work? Um and thank you for that question. I typically always laugh when this question comes at me because my father didn't think I would pretty much owe it to my father, I would say, because I mean right off right after my secondary like my secondary education, I actually wanted to do tourism, like travel the world and see what it felt like living through other people's lenses and experiencing other cultures. But my father looked at my report card and said tourism wasn't gonna earn me money, right? So I was better off in economics, which was like my second best subject in secondary school via my report card. So I started in economics in um, undergrad, but um, due to some certain um, experiences I had where my computer had like a faulty power pack and I was working one day in school after light out my power went off and I couldn't work. And I realized that, hey, I could be solving an issue because I mean, you go to school to solve problems. That's just my understanding at that particular time. And I started researching how an economist could play in doing in energy space, essentially, to see how I could maybe fix my own laptop at that particular point in time. And I stumbled on energy economics. And then it just took a detour for me. So I started to then double classes in school, where after I finished my economic classes in the day, in the evenings, I then go to learn from my school at that time had a physics and solar department, so I used to go there in the evenings and then ask the students or the HOD there to just teach me. And I had a feel, see, um, see, touch, feel of what it felt like to see what solar panels were and even see light come to come to existence just by, I mean, matching wires together. And that was like the light bulb moment for me. And I realized, hey, I wanted to be here. 
And thankfully, I mean, since then up until now, I haven't really had any reason to regret why I'm here. And it's definitely going to be pro progress going forward. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so interesting how, you know, when you're in school, you're really looking at the problems right in front of you and, you know, so looking for solutions to solve them. And I definitely think we have a lot of shared experiences of, you know, growing up in emerging economies, but also my entry to the energy field was also through economics. Um, that was a subject I really like. And I started thinking about the energy problem with the lens of, you know, how, how do economists really tackle that? Um, so, you know, talking about our backgrounds and growing up um, with these global phenomenons around us, I'd like to hear the story of your home country and how has that really embraced renewable energy? It would be interesting to hear anecdotes from you uh, about where you come from and how energy poverty is being managed at your home country. I mean, that's a perfect question going to what I just previously said about how I just got about how I got into the space. I mean, I'm Nigerian. I'm from Abia State, some small village in Nigeria. And I mean, I pretty much grew up in the city, right? But even in the city, we still have brownouts. And like I did mention, I went to a school where at the specific time of the night, it's, it's, it's light out, right? It's like power just goes up and it comes back in the morning again. So you pretty much already limited the amount of productivity that you have. Right. And from that particular point in time, I started to figure out what I could do to then solve the problem. But Nigeria as a whole, we are roughly about 200 million people. Right. And of that number, about roughly 50 percent of what have access to the grid. Right. And with that, if you then break down that into the rural and the urban, the numbers are obviously at a very big disparity which is where we then see the need for the use of decentralized renewable energy systems to then come in to then bridge this gap. Because clearly we see that the grid, the national grid is not able to, do, don't have the capacity to then give to what the, the citizens are requesting for, for us to enable productivity and economic development, right? So, I mean, with that, with that need in place, we then see the, offset um we, we then see regular companies start to spring up policies then start to come up and um, governments itself and building our rural electrification agencies just to curb this deficit that we currently have pulling it off from the rural environment and then taking it down to the urban centers which is where i currently work but i work for a renewable energy company that is mainly focused on rural electrification, which is where we see most of this deficit. And to be honest, I kind of think that economic development starts from where access to raw material is available, which is where we see most of this, um, which is where we see most of the deficits actually being evident in the rural environment, which is where, because I mean, that's where the farm is. That's where the riverine areas are for you to then fish and then bring them to the cities to then for you to then sell. If we start to create avenues for them to then make their own money, I tend to see that economic development starts to spur up a little bit more. So from my own point of view, I kind of think I know that it has gone all the way from where it was before because at about 2010, the number was roughly 48%. Right, and today we've gone all the way to 55%. Right? So I think I know for a fact that there's been an increase in energy access owing to the acceptance of the use of renewable energy in the society, thanks to what the government is doing and even the acceptance from people themselves. 
Yeah, thank you so much for, uh, you know, talking about the leadership of the government in terms of driving energy access. And it's also so interesting for you to point out that distributed renewable energy is not only the future, but the present of how do we bridge that gap between the disparity of the urban and rural areas. Um, so it's so, so nice to see a young person like you taking the lead in this field. And we often see other young people saying that they want to lead the energy revolution. Um, I definitely am one of those. But the word revolution is a politicized word and is synonymous with the disruption of the status quo, which often does not really have a very positive interpretation at times. Um, but can you give us your perspective on what the energy revolution should look like and why is it important for young people like us to be at the forefront? That's a very good question. You know, I tend to want to see this from the perspective of history, to be honest. And there's this quote that says, history always repeats itself, right? And if you're smart enough, you tend to know how to um, position ourselves in the right places and then make sure that we're not being harmed in this. I mean, I'll take this back to sometime in, say, 1973, about the oil crisis that we, that we had. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that is where the advent of renewable energy and, and, and energy efficiency started to happen. Because, I mean, world governments were pretty much scared at that particular point because they needed something to curb themselves or whatever might happen due to the fact that they might not necessarily have oil anymore. Right. And I think this is what's currently happening because we've always been at we've always been at the transition from the very beginning. We've come all the way from coal, sorry, from wood from the as in from wood to then coal to then fossil fuels, then renewables where we currently are right now. And I mean we're still pretty much in the middle of where we are with coal, fossil fuels and renewables. But then we're asking ourselves which is the best way to then get things out. I mean, from my perspective, I believe that no, it's, it's not a one-man island, right? We need all these available methods of electrification to still exist, but it is how smart and how innovative are we to then pull out the best source to then serve per time, right? If, if you think that renewable is what's going to serve um, solve the electrification deficit at, at this particular moment in time, yes, please go for it, right? So if, I mean, that, I mean, that, that answers the question to um, where, the, where the energy revolution is, um, right, and what I think, uh, uh, and what it looks like. And as to what I think we can do about that, I just, I mean, I believe that, I mean, like I did say in regards to um, it not being a one-man island, definitely they are all needed, but it just has to be being smart about it, and then we have an innovative to then make it work. Then um, why um, as to the as to what the youths are doing about this, I believe that we are. I mean, let's look at it from a very personal lens, right? We pretty much make up the most important part of the world. We account for the highest population, and with that information, right? What then do you do? I, I sometimes next, and I think you take it personal, right? Because if 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 nobody helps, you have to help yourself. You don't have to keep making noise and then keep asking for what we want, right? It's no longer about just going and then talking. It's about bringing for the plans because we know what makes us happy the best. We know what increases our productivity, right? I, I, I mean, I go to site. I see the people that need power, but then they're the best to tell me how they need to make it work. That is where stakeholder engagement then comes in. Right, so young people are the most 
burdened and on the flip side if done well we are the ones that will get to benefit from it so i believe that we are the one it's it's our own us to literally tell them hey this is how i think this is how this should go because this is how it affects me and this is what i think we should, we, we need to then do to make it get better yeah absolutely i really would want to echo the fact that the onus is really on us because in the longer term we're we're the the generation that would be impacted by the impacts of how we're leading this energy revolution at this time and uh, i also really like the way you put it um that we do really need all hands on deck um you know we need everyone in the same room to collaborate and innovate um while we're breaking down silos and you know not not just working to solve the problems by ourselves but really working together and uh while working together i think one of the most effective ways to make tangible change is to influence policy so that renewable energy can be embraced so we can you know end energy poverty um because policy does drive a lot of the action that happens in a country so do you see young people as agents of change you know in the amount of young people that you've interacted with through your job or through the podcast that you host um can young people as agents of change really influence policy beyond their activism When 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 asked this question I like to always go back to I like to always refer back to a conversation I had with Mr. Mnyala Ogumbi that's the CEO of SFOL at the moment so we did have her on the podcast right and she said every young person should aspire to be in government right because that is where most of the work gets to be done from and I I see I I take sides with what she said with what she said in the sense that before policies are done right it takes it, i mean it takes humans right to make sure that work is being done right and before the big policies are being enacted small bo- small bodies need to be done in the very first place you get to see small communities here doing their level of activism um you get to see small parties or small communities on the other side trying to figure out the things that do not work for them and the things that work for them and then when they then go to the bigger table they then they then go they then present these things right so and it's literally every single one of us me you the baby by the roadside even the unborn child right by the time he gets to understand that hey with electricity i get to sleep better at night right i get to be able to do my assignment they then start to demand for something better from their parents right and then maybe their siblings get to stand see things and then they, they, they then start to ask for things and then when we do this right by then giving the opportunity to them be at the bigger table we can then be that then influence the policies right i don't i don't necessarily believe that it is it is the big men at the table that make the changes it is us right that come to them and say this is what we have brought from the field this is what has happened in my own community this is what i see at my backyard this is why i think we should plant better trees this is why i think we should have power for a specific period of the day this is why we believe that climate education is very important at the end of the day people grow right and the more and the easier well, the sooner you start to understand what these things are the better for you so which is why i think that hey for policy to be enacted definitely the young ones are needed me you every single person that gets to need that gets to make the work done from our communities I mean it starts to work in the, in some sort of ladder where there's the community groundwork that needs to be done there's the activism that needs to be done which is where they get to see that we need something to be done about this and then they spot you 
and then they bring it to the table and then they, they then have a discussion with you at, of some sort, which is a policy that starts to form. Right? So, I mean, to be very frank about it, how is it going to be done if we're not the ones doing the work in the very first place? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I really believe that energy is, in fact, the backbone of so many other global goals that we're chasing right now. And like you said very rightly, every one of us is affected by it. Um, and I also really like how you put um, that, you know, it's, it's the young people that needs to take our stories to the government and to really influence uh, policy. We need to get to the why of why do we need these policies um, through putting these faces behind these stories and making them understand that, the field really wants it, you know, and it's not just something theoretical that if it's on a paper or in a constitution or, you know, a bill is passed, um, it, it's not as superficial as that. It really seeps beyond that. Um, and, you know, just like looking ahead, um, the whole global climate community is always looking forward to the UNFCCC Conference of the Parties. Um, and this year, COP27 will be held in Egypt in November. Um, it's coming back to the African continent after a few years. Um, as a young climate change advocate, what should be high on the agenda and what sort of outcomes would you like to see come out of COP this year? I mean, looking at looking back at COP last year, there were quite a number of things that were left pending or were not even signed into agreement because, I mean, countries did not even accept it in the very first place. Number one, I'd like to talk about this climate finance, right? Um, I believe that every single country should be held responsible, right? I mean, the developed all developed countries should be held responsible because, hey, at the end of the day, we all get to suffer for this, right? And there's there's a developed part and there's a developing part. We're not saying it's just some part of the country that's suffering for this. We are all suffering for this. And at the end, and, and we're looking at it, we see that it is all of the development, all of the industrialization and all the revolutions done in developed in the developed countries as making the climate then hunger and then suffer the way it is at the moment, right? And there was a there was a commitment of about 100 billion USD, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was supposed to be dropped by developed countries to then fund um, energy and climate um, resolutions for developing countries. But this was never done. This was never agreed, actually. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing that some there's going to be a turnaround with, with, with regards to that. Um, I mean, something else that was also noted was loss something around loss and damage right with climate change we get to see that most houses or most countries or even most environments not being overtaken by by rains right little rain falls here and then the next thing you see it's a flood everywhere even in lagos where i used to live before like it's little rains and then the next thing the whole city is flooded and this never used to be the case about maybe say five or seven years ago so with questions like this you then start to ask hey, who then pays for this damage, right? Every single year, you're buying yourself new appliances or you're having to replace something that you bought the previous year, but because of what is currently happening with the world, right, there's a loss of so many things. It's, it's either life, it's either appliances. I mean, there's or there's, I mean, there's also the PTSD that comes with it. So there's, I mean, this, this, this conversation was brought up but I don't exactly think that there was anything done substantially about it. I'd like to see that that gets revisited again. I think those are like the very most important things that I'd like to see go forth and usually be signed be, be signed into agreement. 
Um, something around also alignment on the 1.5 degrees Celsius um, goal. I'm not exactly sure how that went, but I also like to see that also being signed into agreement. I think these three things are like the most important things for me. Most importantly, I mean, without any, without even relating to which top, which comes first or second or third, but. Hey, climate finance very big because that's that's literally how we we start to make up for what the losses are, loss and damage as regards to people that have been affected by what climate change is currently giving us. It's currently um what we currently see and then alignment on the one point five degrees Celsius goals. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing um, and, you know, putting those three priorities so concisely. And I totally agree there's no hierarchy amongst these priorities, but they, they need to be taken care of with equal amount of urgency, uh, especially talking about climate finance. I think really holding accountable uh, for the commitments that were made so that, you know, we can start making real progress of allocating resources towards solving climate change. Um, and there still needs to, you know, so much to be done to really identify the realities of climate change today. Like you mentioned, um, the flooding problems in your uh, city that you used to live in, or even, you know, the damage that it's been caused right now, so that people don't really see it as a futuristic problem, but something that we are really living in right now, and it's rooted in the reality of today. Um, and, you know, we've we've talked a lot about the role young people can play um, and Africa being a continent with the youngest population worldwide. Um, let's now talk a little bit about the opportunities that lie in this industry. Um, so the perception is that everyone in the sector must be an engineer, um, but the sector has grown. Um, so share some of the possibilities available to the youth uh, that's interesting in making a living in the sector. And we, we have discussed how we, you know, dabbled into energy with a background in economics. Um, but oftentimes when people think about solar, the first thing they think is engineering. Um, so what has your experience been with this? Um, if you don't mind me, um, can I spin this around a little bit? <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> Go for it. Right, I mean, so, I mean, I'd like to ask you to give me some biography about yourself because you did mention you're also um, an, an an economics major, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, um, my tell me. what? Sorry. Yeah, I'm like, do tell me. I mean, I'd love to hear how you got into the space as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my background um, is that I was studying the sciences in high school um, with a focus on economics. I was studying like physics and chemistry and math um, along with e economics. And economics ended up being, you know, something that I was really fond of, something I really liked. Um, it took me to this whole concept of um, allocating resources to solve world problems and, you know, really thinking about the constraints of the resources that are present today. Um, and by the time I reached college, uh, I was thinking about the environment a lot, um, you know, and growing up in a country like India had a lot to play with that, seeing the realities of climate change and growing temperature in New Delhi, seeing, you know, the growing pollution around me and just living in it was a big part that played. Um, and that was literally the year the Sustainable Development Goals came into being. So how I really got into it was I knew that I want to use the lens of economics to solve uh, some of these global challenges. And uh, climate change and energy just happened to be, you know, one that made more sense to me, one that was really close to home. Um, and I got involved with certain programs at school and, you know, just one thing led to another, and now I, I don't see myself ever going back from this. <laughs> so I guess, you know, a lot, a lot of us in this industry really feel that passion and a sense of belonging when we 
talk about working in the climate and energy space. Um, so I definitely share that. And that's what's brought me here, um, you know, getting different perspectives uh, by working, you know, in different emerging economies really helped working in different kinds of um, renewable energy, be it wind or solar or, you know, looking at electric vehicles um, really helped. So it's, it's a very exciting field. Um, and I definitely think there's a place for economists in it. Um, yeah, back to you now for for the question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I was always smiles actually hearing you say this because it, it's very, very relatable. And I hope that anybody that gets to listen to this thesis and believe that they can do. And definitely it's a very, I mean, whatever skill you have is definitely transferable and you can definitely work here. It's a very big sector, I, would, I mean, I would always say. I mean, I'm with, the, I'm with the advent of ESG at the moment as environmental social governance. That's a law that can be, that, that, I mean, that can be done here. I mean, with what you said, I'm, I mean, definitely, I'm, a, I'm an economist major. I literally just realized that I just didn't want to do economics, right? I didn't want to work in the bank, which is what I thought, which is what I saw everybody at at, at my level when I was in school, maybe do after school, because I was like, what then am I supposed to do again with this? And I said to figure out, hey, this is what I'd like to do. Well, and then coming into the space, I mean, it's always the learnings, right? Because, hey, it's not, I mean, I don't exactly have all of the engineering skills. I currently man operations for Nigeria at host power systems. I mean, with operations, it means that I have to be very hands-on, know some technical information to be able to operate plants, which I'm definitely not shy of putting my head into and getting my hands dirty when I need to and asking questions if I really do not, which is very, very important to me. There's no shame in doing that. So for me, it is burying my head deep into the work that I know how to do and not being afraid to ask questions because hey, no man is an island of his own. So if you ask me, I believe that the sector is really, really wide enough to take any and everything. Um, I mean, in the sector itself, you need marketing to be able to sell your products, there's sales, there's, there's economies, right, to be able to know how to then appropriate cash resources amongst every single stakeholder that you currently have. It could even be the developer itself, the customers, the government, every single person on your team. Um, there's also, I mean, name it, it literally can be done anywhere. And for engineering majors that think that their skills are almost not transferable because you must have studied chemical engineering or electrical, I like to say that, hey, ask questions, maybe do like an internship somewhere, somehow. And then after one year, you can then see and then have a feel of it. Um, I was, I mean, I would always refer to my podcast as we do this along and as, as we go with this because I've gotten some insight from people and they always say, you never know until you get into an internship, right? That is always the very first dip into what it feels like working in a particular space. You touch an internship here, you, you touch an internship there, you understand, you ask yourself, hey, is this what I would like to do? If it is, then you can stick around to them and continue to do it. But if it, is, but if it isn't, there's no harm in then talking out and then doing something else again. So, hey, um, go for it. There's no, there's no shame. It's a very big sector. Every and anything is applicable, but you have to do the work. It took me a while to understand the difference between power and energy. I'm not even going to lie about it, but I had to learn because this was what I wanted to do. Um, I mean, I don't believe there are impossibilities, really. I mean, I'll just put it plainly, to be honest. Yeah. 
Um, but before we move ahead, I just wanted to point out like how many things that you said I relate to. That definitely was a point in my undergrad career where I just, you know, kind of paused, looked at what I was doing and everyone around me wanted to be a banker at Wall Street. And I was just like, that's not me. But does it even make sense for me to study what I'm studying? And it definitely does because of those transferable skills, right? Like I think as an economist, it really teaches us how to evaluate problems, um, you know, different kind of lens to look at it and really evaluate the impact on the other mm-hmm. side of solving that challenge. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for sharing about your journey um, to getting here. Yeah, and I mean, I, yeah sorry, uh, go for- I'd like to also add something to that because um, being an economist has also actually helped me here. And I'll give you a very, very practical example. I mean, sometimes you tend to say that most engineers always just see things from a very, very thin lens. They're just very technical. But having someone like me on, on the field, and because I'm man-planned, I'm able to then look at what is the least cost of doing certain things, right? I mean, I don't know if if the world is for maybe aware of what's, I mean, what's currently happening with the increase in fuel prices and diesel and waste and power generators, if need be. I mean, I, I mean, I some of my plants, I have about, I mean, I man about maybe over five plants here in Nigeria and a couple of them run on, because I have, it's, it's they're, all, they're all solar hybrid, a couple of them run with generators, right? And for, and, Recently, I was just asked, hey, go start a generator here. Or I realized that because it's raining season here in Nigeria, and it means that the batteries will start to dip at a particular time of the day because there's not enough sun that you didn't charge the batteries. And I had to ask myself the question of what is profitable for me at this particular point in time? There's an increase in diesel price. I need to power my customers. I also need to make profit. Right. I mean, with all of those constraints, I didn't, I didn't have to ask myself, what is the best way to get this done? knowing that I have separate stakeholders to them, please. Right? I think an economist, uh, sorry, maybe an engineer might just go straight to them, power the, to them power the customers, but I had to sit back and then understand all of the economic space behind it. I mean, around having to deploy the scarce resources that I had, it was diesel, to then make sure that everybody was literally happy and make sure it was a win-win situation. So, which is what this is. So this then, I mean, this is a practical example of what the transferable skill is, to be honest, because not understanding I knew what I needed to do and if asked anyway I knew I was going to defend myself with every single thing that I had on the table to then give us facts yeah absolutely thank you so much for sharing such a tangible real life example of that and I 100% agree to um, you know really using the concepts that I learned in my economics classes you know inside the four walls of a classroom and taking them to the field And in my experience, I was working in Peru uh, one summer on this wind energy, um, you know, organization. And we were catering to a very small, tiny community on the eastern coast, uh, sorry, the western coast of Peru. And what I really learned was, you know, the difference between the willingness to pay and the ability to pay. And how, how does that really differ? And I don't think I would have really understood the nuances you know, between it, um, if I had not studied about it in my economics classes to really evaluate the impact that was coming from providing these wind turbines to the people of this community. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for sharing so much that I relate to. Um, it definitely feels good to not be the only person who's studied economics and is in this industry. And all this is just to say to everyone listening to this podcast that you do not need to be an engineer to work in the solar industry or 
any other renewable energy industry. And there's just so much possibility and potential that exists out here. Actually, I was reading this article on LinkedIn earlier today that said um, that the next, you know, the cool thing, the it factor of a lot of people are, uh, you know, considering is going into climate careers and leaving behind Silicon Valley. And it just didn't, you know, feel natural to me when I had learned about Silicon Valley at first that people are going to go anywhere else because it's just so lucrative and attracts people towards it. Um, But that really, you know, points us to the fact that this is urgent. This is what young people really relate to today. Um, Yeah, so in conclusion, um, Jennifer, as we're commemorating International Youth Day in 2022, I'd like to ask you to leave a message for the youth here. Um, And I know you've given so many knowledge bites uh, and, you know, advice along this podcast. It was such a pleasure talking to you. But just a concluding message that the future generations of young people will listen to and maybe help them stay on the cause to save the environment and end energy poverty. Um, the very first thing I'll say is, hey, it's personal. Please take it personal, to be honest, because, hey, they're going to leave you and you're going to remain here. Like, we are, like, the highest populated in the world and you want a better, you, you want a better environment for yourself. So please take it personal. Make sure that, hey, your environment is literally at the optimum best it can be. And if there's something that you knew, that you know that you can do to make it better, please do it. And, I mean, as I said prior to where we are now, take as much internships as you can to then figure where you need to be. And I'd always say the more afraid you are of something means that's the reason why you need to then do it. So, I mean, go for it, do it afraid, make sure that as long as it aligns with what your goals are, please, I mean, where else do you want to be actually? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for being a young person that's inspiring so many people. And, you know, this is what people really need to hear, real life stories of how young people are really transforming the energy revolution and the energy transition. Um, So I really can't thank you enough for speaking with Power For All today and being on this podcast. I hope you liked being on the other side of the chair and not the interview. (laughs) or the question master but really you know there's someone to ask you these questions um so i hope you enjoyed uh being here today um i did i mean like you said okay so i thought that was a question (laughs) no go for it i mean i mean yes i did is it was definitely different being on the being been the interviewer or rather been the interviewee rather so I mean I mean now I know what it feels like to actually be interviewed for something so maybe I'll take it a bit softer on someone next time I may be having an interview or having a podcast yeah thank you Jennifer once again and thank you all for listening a reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news analysis and data on our website powerforall.org and our platform for energy access knowledge or PEAK You can also sign up to receive our monthly newsletter. And if you'd like to support our work, you can make a donation via our homepage. Until next time on the Power for All podcast. Thank you.